Hello and welcome back to the Scooter Pod. The Brent Venables era has begun with a bang as the Oklahoma Sooners took out the UTEP Miners 45-13 to on Saturday. I'm your host Bobby Howard and here to break down the game with me as always is Jameson Maxwell and Ty Lee. So Jameson, I'll, I'll let you kick, kick this thing off. How was your game day? It was pretty good. It felt really nice to be back in Norman, but it went so quickly. Even though that first quarter was so elongated with like all the scoring drives, I felt like I blinked and the game was over. Um, I feel like next game for this next week, I need to take a couple breaths and realize how lucky I am to be back at the palace. Yeah, absolutely. It was a whirl. I'm with you. It was a whirlwind. Even though we were out there early, it just felt, it felt nuts. So I, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, it was, it, it was a good day, but a very quick day. Ty, what about you? How, how did you, uh, what did you think of game one? How was your experience and everything? Yeah, I was reporting live from remote. Uh, so I will be the voice of our, our remote viewers. So I watched the telecast live uh, telecast. If people use that word nowadays, still <laughs> not that I'm that old either. I'm not sure where that word came from within me, but it did, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it was exciting. We, we definitely have a lot to talk about a lot to unpack, but things started out good in the game and things started out great uh, game as a whole in terms of the season and, and where we're going. So I'm super excited to dive into that now. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's go ahead and get into it. So overall, I feel like the theme of the day was change, was, you know, feeling that difference that the Brent that Brent Venables has brought to you both in terms of play style and overall feel. So Jameson, to you, you know, thinking back to the last time you were in the palace uh, against, you know, Iowa State to now, what was your biggest kind of takeaway in terms of like what, what changed really stuck out to you the most? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit in the preview pod last week. There, you could sense the energy I mean, amongst the fans and especially with the players. You knew that this team was ready to go out and throw some punches. Um, and I feel like that really translated to where, how we were tackling. I think a lot of fans that I heard around me um, sitting down and also after the game, the biggest thing I heard people talking about were tackling. And you could tell it seems like we were fundamentally better. We were wrapping up better. There weren't too many missed tackles. I thought Jaden Davis was a guy I was really impressed with how he tackled and taking over that you know, cornerback two position. Um, a kind of guy I'll probably be talking about a lot about later in the show whenever we break down the defense. Everything just seemed about right. We had a couple of hiccups here and there with some penalties. But all in all, I feel like it was a pretty strong game. Yeah, absolutely. I think defense was, you know, absolutely made an impression for sure. Uh, Ty, what about you? What was the biggest change that really stuck out to you? Yeah, so Jameson sort of stole my thunder there. I, I mentioned it in the pregame podcast that we did last week, looking towards winning that penalty game and whether or not that would be indicative of our performance down the road. So while we did lose the penalty game, by one more penalty and nine more yards than UTEP. We had seven for 59, I believe. Uh, so lost the penalty game a little bit, but things were, were where you would sort of expect them. We didn't really necessarily have a lot of sort of disciplined penalties. So I liked where we were at there. And then from there, weirdly enough, I did some some weird analysis. And I'm not sure how everyone is going to read Here into this I'm individually. To this. No, I'm not sure how everyone's <laughs> going to read into this individually and, and interpret and I'm not necessarily sure what the lifetime results are or the average results are, but 43% of tackles were single tackles. And then the remaining, what is that, 57, were uh, multiple people tackling. So if I'm going to read into that and sort of interpret those numbers in a way, 
that I like to interpret them, which is obviously the positive way, was like we said, we had people wrapping up. We had a ton of individual effort. No one looked, you know, oh, it's UTEP, whatever, where are you? We're going to roll them over. For the most part, we saw just a ton of individual effort and a ton of team effort. And then I just love the way that we were swarming people and continuing to play to the whistle. There was not someone just kind of jogging or across the field watching. If there was somebody made contact with the ball handler, they were almost always wrapped up. I, I don't know what how many tackles UTEP broke, but we did a great job wrapping people up. And even if that initial hit wasn't as hard, it seemed like maybe even we were sort of turning down initial hits and just focusing on wrapping up and just delaying or degrading someone's progression for everyone else to swarm it. Cause we just had so many tackles that were swarms, but at the same time we had really great individual tackling as well. Yeah. I, I think the physicality absolutely stuck, like stuck out, but you're right. The, you know, the actual, you know, discipline of tackling the actual, you know, technique was absolutely there. And, you know, while it doesn't make a highlight reel exactly making sure they're wrapped up and then have the cavalry come and knock them out. That's sound tackling. So I think that's that's good stuff for sure. Um, for me, my biggest takeaway was actually the offense. I thought, you know, we got back to that 08, you know, quick pace Sam Bradford style that we haven't seen in a while. But because we've talked a lot about the defense, I'm going to save my insights for that a little bit later in the show. So let's go ahead and dive into the defense to start this thing out. So um, obviously, new era. We've, we've talked about it ad nauseum this offseason. But um, Jameson, do you like what was the unit that really stuck out to you? Um, and honestly, I think we'll kind of, you know, go from there mm-hmm. in terms of uh, how we'll how we'll break it down position group by position group. So what, what really yes. stuck out to you? Sticking out, that's one word to say. Am I going to go negative or positive on this? We talked in the preseason. I think that the defensive line in terms of skill might be our weakest position out of the multiple levels of offensive defense. But to be completely honest with you, I was impressed with them the most out of all of the position groups on the field in terms of linebackers and defensive backs. Uh, I thought Reggie Grimes, a guy I had pegged as kind of a dark horse, maybe breakout player, had two and a half sacks and a QB hurry. They had a couple guys coming, like R. Mason Thomas and Marcus Stripling look really good. R. Mason Thomas coming in and putting some good QB pressure and getting a half sack was a big deal. I thought Jordan Kelly starting over Jalen Redmond was something really to take a look at. Like this guy, he's been in the program for a while, redshirt senior, and he beats Jalen Redmond, Jalen Redmond as the starter. I thought he had a really good game. I liked a lot. Um, from what I saw from the defensive line. Now, obviously, it's a little bit easier to play defensive line whenever you're playing against lesser skilled and big opponents in a non-Power 5 school. Uh, but I was really reassured um, with this group. Yeah, I, I'm with you. The D-line for me was the, the highlight almost to the entire game because we knew the offense would be what it was. Um, but that D line, especially with how many people we lost uh, to the draft, you know, with Isaiah Thomas out, with uh, Perry on Winfrey out, uh, and then obviously Nick Benito kind of as that like kind of hybrid position, um, that was a big kind of question mark because we didn't exactly have five star guys to just plug in there. So seeing the effort that, you know, for me, you know, specifically Reggie Grimes put in uh, with that, you know, the two and a half career high sacks. Uh, I mean, that was, that was absolutely stellar. They were, they were the workhorse of that whole defense. Um, obviously there are a couple of issues with uh, some other position groups, but for me, that D line was killer. Uh, Reggie, Reggie grind Grimes to me looks like an absolute, 
absolute beast and someone who I'm really, really high on. Ty, what about you? Um, defensive line, uh, what were your impressions from them? Yeah, the D-line, I think, obviously is, is the highlight. That's something that Venable's defenses are known for. So I am super happy to see that we've had immediate translation into increased uh, performance and increased increased lack of mistakes. Uh, everyone knew where they were supposed to be, and, and the system looked really well. And, and what I'm saying here is we saw immediately the Brent Venable's impact. It's, it's going to get even better when we continue to recruit it and feed the system with you know, better tools, not to discredit the, the players that we have now, but when you continue to feed higher and higher caliber recruits into that system and give them more time to develop and marinate in that system, they're only going to get better. And it speaks to how good the system is and how good of a, a D-line coach and, and D-line beneficial system, I'm just making stuff up at this point, that Venables has when you can have that immediate impact. Because it's this D-line looked tremendous and uh that's i think i've exhausted the the breadth of of expertise that i have on the d-line everything else would just be overlapping with you guys so i not to move it on but i'll kind of move it on a little bit to the the linebackers who i think again there was some mm, uh moments that's that's the case with everything and it's game one and uh, you know you can sort of caveat that with it is utep but i i loved the way that the linebacker core was performing again, much like the D line, everyone looked to know their assignments. Like I said, in the pregame uh, podcast for things that I was looking for, what I was looking for was to not see people confused, looking at the sideline. What do I do? People shifting right before snap because we're in the wrong setup and someone just barely noticed or people not knowing their assignments or missing their assignments. There wasn't any of that. And it, you saw an immediate impact and immediate benefit to the D line. There wasn't any sort of speed D trickery, you know, not to, disparage that but where the d-line and the linebackers are shifting like they have to read that they're having to read the defense and then read their own play and then set up a fake and then shift and then hope the offense doesn't shift where they'll have to reshift again it was just hey we know our assignment we're making our read we're set and we're playing those gaps so the linebackers as well i think the d-line were the standout stars but if we're looking at that at that tremendous tremendous uh, cheeseburger that we just had of a defense. The D-line was the, the perfectly cooked patty, but the linebackers, they were they were the cheese on that cheeseburger for sure. And you got to have cheese. The cheese has to be good, has to cover it's, well. well. But yeah, by definition, to be a cheeseburger, you do have to have cheese. I, I, hey, I, I have seen plenty of stories where for some reason people order a cheeseburger and then ask for it with no cheese. So, you know, uh, people are Gross. strange out there. I, I well that, that's a hamburger. That's not a cheeseburger. So, anyways, I digress. I, I'm with you. I really like the linebackers as well. I thought um, for me, Danny Stutzman was an absolute standout, and for me, a game uh, a game ball candidate. And I would, I if anyone brings him up, I would not be stunned. Um, he had what nine tackles, uh, six solos, and uh, looked like he has taken a massive leap uh, in this offseason as well. Um, and then, but it wasn't just Stutzman, you know, David Oguebu did really well as uh, in addition to that seven total tackles, three solos, Deshaun white looked really good with five tackles, two solos. I thought that was, I, I mean, they, they played in concert together so well, the rush defense as a whole, uh, UTEP couldn't do anything at all um, because of that in terms of rushing the ball. Um, 
and it was it was something to be really really thrilled about i i was very very happy with that rush defense as a whole and the linebackers are a huge part of that um hell jaron kanak looked great too i would say oh so, yeah. yeah did you, you see t- the play yeah. where he almost fell over and then like immediately got back up within a millisecond yeah. and gave to the qb hurry i was like is that even humanely possible it was, I mean, split second. It looked like he was out of the play. Then he pops back up. That specific angle that uh, Sooner Scoop put out, yes. uh, Eddie Radosevich specifically, stunning, stunning. There was no way to not watch that and be like, this guy's going to be a killer. Jameson, who were some standouts for you on the linebackers uh, other than Kanak? Honestly, Kanak. It's, it's, there's really not too much to talk with the linebackers because this seems like the type of group that might be the safeties of the old times where it's you've got those guys in the – you know, Delaren Turner-Yell and Patrick Fields, and we just rarely see too much beyond that. You know, Kanak came in late in the game whenever we were up by, you know, 30-ish points. But we had 85 snaps, and Danny Sussman played 72 of them, and David Iguabu played 60, Deshaun White played 59, and then the next guy um, closest on the list was Billy Bowman at 53. These linebackers seem to be really set in their positions, and you could tell just by body language, it seems like Danny Sussman is almost like a leader of this group. I understand that he's still young, um, but he seems to be kind of a vocal leader as well as like he's leading with his play. I understand he did have one bad play on the game with that pass interference on that fourth down. But other than that, he had some really big hits. That one big power hit that he had, he did it from his knees. This wasn't like he was going downhill and hit this guy. He had so much strength to knock back the runner by going straight from his knees. He lost almost all of his power, not having his feet ridiculous play. He's going to be fun to watch. Um, We'll see if that linebacker room gets any surprises throughout the season, but I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing them as the new DeLaren Turner, Patrick Fields. Yeah, because, you know, I, I, I like that. And I think it's naturally a good thing when your safety, you know, blanket of uh, guys that, you know, stops plays from becoming bigger plays uh, happens on the linebacking level rather than at the other level of uh, safeties and corners. Um, usually that means something wrong has happened. So I, I agree. I think that's very, very exciting. Um, and speaking of the safeties and corners, I would say if there was any sort of downside defensively, I feel like the pass rush or, or the pass protection looked a little off. Uh, what were your thoughts on the secondaries or the secondary on the corners, Jameson? And, um, I don't know. So some particularly weak spots. Do you think, do you think that was a pretty weak unit? I think it was a little bit more apparent to see what the true meaning of our secondary was on TV rather than at the game. And I'm sure Ty can kind of talk to this a little bit, um, whenever he wants to talk. The secondary was playing a lot of zone, something we haven't seen in a long time. But at the game, I'm sitting here seeing these cornerbacks play 5, 10 yards off, and they're getting easy 8-yard, 10-yard passes back and forth. I'm like, oh, here we go. I just am getting like these old parts of my brain that Mike Stoops like traumatized, and all of a sudden I'm starting to remember all these bad memories of never playing press coverage. But this Brent Venable scheme is more of a zone defense than what we've seen in the past. And to be honest with you, I had to kind of think about it whenever I was rewatching the game today. It's like when you're playing a team like UTEP, and their level of play is not that high, playing a lot of zone and giving them a little bit of buffer isn't the worst idea because I don't want to be giving up big plays and have momentum shifts. If they're going to be scoring, I mean, getting eight yards um, every once in a while on a third down, that's fine. 
Um, but we know they're going to eventually screw up or our pass rush is going to get to them where that's not going to happen every single down. We're going to get them off the field. A lot of those times we got into the, um, their, they got into their side of the 50-yard line. We eventually made a couple of big plays to stop the drive. Um, but I'm not too concerned as much with the defensive backs, kind of, you know, like thinking about it today. But there is a lot to improve on it for sure. And also, let's keep in mind, scheme-wise, you don't want to throw the kitchen sink at UTEP and then have film out on that. Um, but Ty, yeah, I want to I know, from your vantage point and everything, watching it from TV, what are some things you saw with the secondary, some of your concerns, ailments, etc.? Yeah, so I think the two big points up front is, one, I will, I will say, were they necessarily that bad? And I say that because comparatively we're used to an OU defense where there are sort of issues across the board. Obviously we're used to an OU defense where the secondary is just getting absolutely toasted every game, just completely, <laughs> you know, we've, we've put that corn on the cob for about four times as much as we should have uh, just completely burnt, but it, we didn't necessarily have other layers of the defense getting burned, but I will say, we didn't necessarily have the secondary getting burned either. And I, I will, I, in my opinion, if giving OU the benefit of the doubt, and I think if you rewatch some of the highlights, if you were to rewatch UTEP highlights where they had some of these bigger plays and, and things that went right for them in the passing game, I think you will see an OU secondary that was identified early in the season as a potential weak point for this team. And I think if you give OU the benefit of the doubt and look at it sort of even objectively, even without the OU lens on things, I think if you look at it objectively, you will see OU's coaching staff saying, hey, this is our weakness. We're going to employ them in a manner that is minimizing of those weaknesses. Because what you didn't see was a lot of yards after the catch or yards after contact. Yeah, we saw a lot of, you know, some guys that were open. We saw some blown things here and there. And, and some missed assignments and, and this and that. But for the most part, even when UTEP was able to convert to a first down or complete a five-plus yard pass play or something that wasn't like a screen or something, and we did really well against screen passes and things like that as well. But what you saw was a lot of individuals making individual – that's where a lot of those individual tackles were, were guys on their assignments. They were in a zone. They couldn't necessarily – prevent it. But as soon as it happened, they were right there. They were on it. They were making one-on-one -on -one tackles and they were preventing that from going any further. So it was almost a, I don't want to use triage because I think in a lot of situations and it might just be previous work experience for me, triage is where you're working from behind, you know, someone else has the advantage and, and you're having to, to work from behind there and, and sort of manage your losses so that you can, can uh, better employ your force, but it wasn't necessarily triage, but it was, we identified this, this is going to be a weak point. Let's minimize it. And the best that we can do, because we know they're going to exploit it. And they did only to uh, 13 points with no passing touchdowns, uh, but we know they're going to exploit it. Let's put them in a position where they, I don't want to say lose the least, but it, we, we knew that they were going to be, we knew that they were going to struggle. We knew that they were going to have a hard time. We put them in the best possible position because you can't always put your people in perfect positions. We put them in the best possible position. And I am, they were the weak point. They were the one to say, Hey, Oh, I'm kind of worried about this. That's a realistic assumption. Although maybe not because Quinn Ewers is absolute trash uh, or at least just completely <laughs> average. Sure? So maybe, hey, maybe covered, we shouldn't Ty. be, maybe we shouldn't they, be too they, worried. They did cover. 
yeah, maybe we shouldn't be too worried about uh, yeah, on two touchdowns and one interception. Um, maybe we shouldn't be too worried about him. But uh, yeah, this this passing defense is. I don't think it's the question mark. It's the oh, this is the weak point in in the chain. But we have a much stronger chain, and uh, we're we're employing them in, in a much better mm-hmm. manner. So I, I yeah. went kind of long there, but it's I. I I don't want to steal y'all's. If y'all are about to jump in on them, you know, just I, let, let tear me say, them apart, let me say one more thing. And yeah, them. do that. But they're, I don't think, I, I wouldn't be that concerned, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Let me, let me go in one more time on that. I, I posted this tweet to the Screener Pods Twitter account. This is my one comment about the whole game on the account. Um, I just don't think <laughs> our social media don't... presence is A1, clearly. <laughs> hey, I've been clipping videos for y'all. Um, you know, Jam- the... Jameson has taken us up to a, a better level than we have been, which was uh, like non-existent. So, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, th- yeah. I, I think we can make fun of Nebraska a lot. I really do because like, oh, they lost in Dublin and it was Northwestern. But you cannot say that their passing attack didn't look a little explosive and something that you need to scheme against. I think this secondary will not be able to be judged until we play a competent. And I think UTEP had a really good passing attack. But until we go against a high-level passing attack, which I think Nebraska has a high-level passing attack. They have a lot of deficiencies. Um, but I really do. I think they got two solid wide receivers. And Casey Thompson, I think, played good for – three and a half quarters. Uh, so I'm not going to make my final judgment on the secondary. I understand people are going to disagree with my comment about Nebraska because every, it's easy to just bash Nebraska. I really do think that we will learn about the secondary and how successful they are about how we contain Casey Thompson here in two weeks. Um, but I think it'd be, I'd be remiss not to mention Billy Bowman as a great um, part of the secondary. We've been kind of talking down on them. I, I know Bobby will probably have some things to say about him, but it seems like he looks like he's at home. Yeah, Billy Bowman was an absolute beast this game. You know, nine total tackles, seven solos, led and led the, the 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 unit in solo tackles. Um, and and to be fair, we're not we're not bashing him by any by any means. I I think they're, you know, if you just had to point to a to a position group that didn't look as good, it was that one. They had they had more moments of like, what are we doing here? um than almost any other unit so but bowman oh my god that guy is legit he looks like you said more at home he looks like he knows what he's doing that kind of freshman confusion is gone he looks more confident he looks more physical he looks better out there across the board um and it's a unit that is going to take some time to get better to get where it needs to be but that's for me a personnel thing and you know it just takes some time it's game one Ty, what's up? We can't not say it. We, we almost forgot this, and I understand, you know, oh, it's not that impressive. OU Secondary, they got an interception. Shout out to our man Gentry Williams. Yeah. So we we have to – I can't believe we almost went through the entire secondary discussion. We have to give my man his credit. So we did Alex get a Alex Grinch was did, rolling in his grave. With that yeah, they did, drive, <laughs> they did drive a turnover. But, yeah, so we were, we're not down on turnovers either. So that is – Super, super happy to see again UTEP and uh, Jameson is a known uh, Clay Thompson sympathizer, whatever his name is. Oh the guy that used God. to be a, and, uh, he might be Jameson, might be a Clay Thompson sympathizer. I love Clay Thompson as well. Um, I also like Casey uh, Thompson. Yeah, both of them. I think they're the same person. Uh, they're about as skilled. They both can't win without a super team around them, as we've seen that with Casey Thompson not winning anything. And uh, Clay Thompson winning only when he has superstar Kevin Durant 
uh, alongside. But anyways, I, we're not a basketball I podcast. I don't think as a Thunder fan, I have any room to talk crap on Clay Thompson after what he's done to us. Sadly. Yeah, no, we, we just put our head down and we don't say anything. We, we don't talk about Clay. We don't talk about that. There, there, you can't, there's nothing you can say. But anyways, you're right. This isn't a basketball. Yeah, the only, the only Clay Thompson fact I know is from that uh, Screw Kevin Durant song. And I, I definitely can't say that fact or line on this podcast. My mind was going so many different angles of what you were about to say. The only thing you know about Clay Thompson. Well, that that and there's a dude on YouTube that looks just like him and had a really funny video where he got in and, mm-hmm. and practiced as him and stuff. And to be fair, like as far as Casey Thompson jokes go, like like saying that he like confusing him with Clay Thompson is about like the least bad thing you can say, uh, given. Yeah. <clears throat> given you know his father's uh you know whatnot i don't need to say it allegedly <laughs> allegedly <laughs> anyways uh anyways Ty. anyways Ty, game ball game in, ball but game ball selection time uh ty i'll let you kick this one off who gets your defensive game ball all right so the defensive game ball i'm gonna take it as sort of a different angle different methodology a proprietary methodology is what i would say if i were trying to sell this this methodology and i'm combining on the field performance with something else that i don't necessarily have a passion for in the the way that a lot of people do but i'm an appreciator i'm an appreciator of the finer things i'm an appreciator of design and one of the one of the design things that i love is designing for functionality and in beauty i think comes from functionality in a lot of ways so my game ball is going to danny stutzman the linebacker and am i calling him beautiful maybe but what i'm really calling beautiful <laughs> and interesting and what i really found interesting was his helmet and i'll keep this short because we're not uh, yeah. it was podcast cool. But uh, the zero two helmet, a lot of ventilation, but it's a it's a completely different methodology from a lot of other helmets. Uh, it's it's a it's meant to give a lot more and and sort of absorb impacts. And it's a very very cool. I, I nerded out on on reading about his helmet when I saw it because I was like that looks funky. Like he's got like a double mohawk thing down the center, and then he's got some air vents and some everything else it gives a lot more than other helmets it's just a very very neat design uh and i'm pairing that with on the field performance so give me danny stutzman try to do something different i like it and you know it's you know that that helmet is cool as hell looks like some you know f1 engineers you know whipped it up. yeah i almost Here we almost go. forgot it's like the third just, week in a row we brought I have to say one f1 reference no, no, no. just just a caveat just to just to be clear i'm not not calling him beautiful either Fair enough, I, fair I can enough. agree with that. I'm going to make that our new clip for this podcast. There you go. I'm not not calling him beautiful. All right. So my game ball of the week goes to uh, Delan Turner Yell, uh, who, All right, even though he time. is not on, even though he's not on the active roster uh, of the Sooners, he did make the 53 man roster for the Denver Broncos. So right. uh, I'm me, changing my game ball to Gerald McCoy. <laughs> Best center great, of all time, Gerald McCoy. Gerald McCoy had a great uh, appearance on the Rich Eisen show. So there you go. He also gets a game ball. But no, for real, for real. Um, for me, it has to be Reggie Grimes. Uh, I I really, really w- came away impressed with him. He seems to me like the anchor of that defensive line. Um, we were high on him last year. He had his moments. I, I think he, you know, is the type of guy who could fit into that Perry on Winfrey role. And to me, he, he he absolutely did blow me away. I was impressed with him. The two and a half sacks, his career high, um, he was an absolute havoc. He, he, he wrecked havoc on there. And for me, 
he got my game ball. I think there are a lot of really good performances around the around the board that are exciting to me. But um, looking at this, that the, the first name that pops out of my head, impression wise, is Grimes. Uh, but I, I like Stutzman as well. I think that's a really good pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jason? I would have given it to Stutzman if it wasn't for that fourth down PI. Honestly, it was you know a little bit kind of iffy. Uh, but that's just a tough play because it extends a drive on their side of the 50. Uh, Reggie Grimes getting the game ball. It's just kind of the given here. Two and a half sacks is a big number. Um, anytime you get that kind of number, you have to at least think about it. I understand um, they might have not been as much. They looked like kind of coverage sacks. That first sack he had, um, the quarterback had to run out a little bit, but he had still beaten his man. The second one was a bad snap, both on the first drive. And then the half sack, I don't really remember. But still, I'm really proud to see how well he's doing. Finally, kind of getting into this defensive scheme and showing what he can do after being behind really strong upper class in the past couple of years. Um, I think that him and Ethan Downs together will be a fun duo to watch. And then maybe, just maybe, we start to see a little bit more of Marcus Stripling. And if R. Mason Thomas continues to show what he did in this game, I wouldn't be surprised to see them in some change of pace, pass rushing um, situations. But yeah, Reggie Grimes is definitely my game ball as well. Yeah. And it's it's one of those where it's like, for me, I know it feels a little obvious-ish, but I think he got it, but, but I, I'm with you. I think if you want to mix it up, Stutzman, definitely, definitely a guy. So I, I think that's, I think we got, we did good there. I think we got it right on. And I don't think anyone on the uh, Apple podcast uh, comments is going to come after us uh, this time. Although, you know, I did mention Delaire and Turner Yell. So uh, there you yeah, go. we're a little bit off, but it's okay. Hey everybody. It's Bobby Howard. And before we start the show, I just kind of want to talk to y'all for a second. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of college football preview podcasts, and, you know, it's it's really been great. It's gotten me hyped for the season, and one reason it's been great to listen to is because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable, and they will not budge. Trust me. Raycons give you 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycons everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. You know, I really like the versatility of Raycons. If you're really wanting to lock in, really just immerse yourself in what you're doing, That is where the noise isolation feature comes in. Just block everything out. It's great. But you know what? Sometimes you can't just, you know, shell yourself off. So that's where you go to awareness mode, where you can have some audio come in. You can do errands. You can act like a normal human being and uh, still listen to what you want. So I feel like that's actually pretty great. The Raycons really are great, though, whenever I'm not editing the podcast. Just kick back, listen to some red dirt. Feels like you're right in the middle of Kane's ballroom. It's great. I love it. So, look, if you want to be like me, jump on the Raycon train. Go to buyraycon.com slash TPPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash TPPN to score 15% off. One more time, that is buyraycon.com slash TPPN. Use promo code TPPN15. That's TPPN15. Football fans, the first Sunday of the NFL season is here. And DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL is giving new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. 
Right now, new customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. And as an added bonus for week one, everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on an NFL team to win, and if your team leads by 10 at any point in, during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet this Sunday. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Now, back to the Schooner Pod. Let's talk about offense, Bobby, because I, I want to hear what y'all have to say about this team because I've been waiting this whole podcast. We had to wait 30 minutes to listen to about Ty and his thoughts of Marcus Major in his game. Two touchdowns, and he looked different. He looked powerful. And just like you said on the last episode, Ty, you said, yes, he might not be a kind of guy who could fumble it, but having that change of pace power back in the number two is a really, really important thing to have behind a finesse guy that can catch a ball and also change his pace in Eric Gray. So I was thinking about you, Ty, and I'm really proud that your boy's starting to have a little bit of a breakout. Yeah, here's the thing. And and I can reveal this to a point. I, I, we can sort of discuss this uh, later, but I, I will tease as much as I can to uh-huh. the, the viewers and the listeners of the podcast. Here's the thing. My man, Marcus Major, the reason that I made my pick about him, and you guys don't even know this, is I, I was exposed to Marcus Major uh, a couple years ago when I first came back to OU after getting out of the military uh, because of a because of a friend of mine. And and I, I believe now, based on his on-the-field performance uh, then and in the years since then and now, so we're at, we're at point B and, and that was point A back in 2019, in the space between then, I, I believe he was victim to something akin to a, a lower level of, and, and we're getting into the meta here, but a, a sort of a, a Kardashian curse, if you're familiar. Uh, the Kardashians, I think uh, everyone probably knows who they are, uh, but uh, athletes especially and, and people involved with them are known to sort of fall off in their performance in their field if they're involved with with them. Uh, I, I think everyone can sort of read in between the, the tea leaves and the lines there. Uh, he is no longer subject to said curse. Uh, so I think that is is benefiting his his on the field performance. And that's a proprietary uh, analysis right there. These are the things that the schooner pod, the schooner pod brings you is, is you guys need to understand that there, there are sort of means and methods of, of collection and of deriving data points that, that we can bring you guys that aren't found on other pods. ESPN doesn't have people. The OU daily, let's, (laughs) let's take this back a a year ago and, and we can, we can't again, get into our operational, uh, methodology too much, but again, a, a year ago, the OU Daily was known for for sort of very publicly announcing who would be the starting quarterback, whether it be Caleb Williams or Spencer Rattler. There were two media outlets that had that scoop, one of which released it, and they gave away how they did it, and then the other one there was also able to release it because this guy right here, me, was right there chatting up the OU Daily re- uh, reporters. The, the students doing said intelligence gathering, which they were just standing in their, their college looking out the window. Was it that hard to do? <laughs> I'm surprised on no ground. one else did it. Yeah, but it's but it's, it goes beyond that, right? Because we, we have methods beyond just looking out the window. I have a little bit of professional training 
uh, in this realm. So maybe we maybe we interact with people who interact with the players, or we interact with the players and and use various methods. So early on, I knew this guy was going to perform if if things worked right for him and and things are starting to click. So that's what we'll and say about fa- Marcus Major. That's a sales pitch for the podcast, really not not necessarily analysis, but just know my takes. They might be coming out of seemingly nowhere, but uh, I we have our means of of gathering data points that aren't just advanced analytics or whatever like the hell this. they get from i like it from um yeah and to be fair ty you also let us know like maybe spencer rattler isn't good at decision making because he rode a line almost directly into a car uh when you were walking to class at one time this is true yeah that was back in we should have uh, known that's a red flag yeah, having some i don't know how how more major news sources don't just employ a random person to like become a student (laughs) of OU look up the athletes on the like guide and then just sign up for classes that they're in. That's how I knew that it certain individuals maybe wouldn't be academically eligible because of getting caught cheating and all sorts of things. And this wasn't even intentional. We need you to get on one day more situation Todd. figure out what exactly happened there because it seems like a lot of the places are, are being really hush hush about the details of it a possible wrench situation I'm hearing of why he's not playing. There's there's all kinds of speculation. We need boots on the ground, TMZ tie to get in there. If it's a rent, if it's a rent situation, there's all sorts of public records and and different things that you can probably get into. True, 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 true. But no, I'm with you. Marcus Major had a great game. And I I think using him as, you know, like kind of how Ramondre Stevenson would come in as like kind of that alt type of different back, uh, the power back. Yeah, you know, I, I think Major could fill that gap a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, the running game was really good. But what I, what I want to kind of ask about specifically, and I know we usually don't go in like a chronological standpoint. We don't talk about periods of time or quarters or any of that because you watch the game. We don't need to detail it for you. That first quarter, that 21-point run was football nirvana for me. I loved it. I loved watching the offense just humming, going at that breakneck pace. Um, and it really got me excited to see what Jeff Levy and that offense, you know, with Dylan Gabriel could really look like. Um, Jameson, what did you think about the pace? Uh, do you, are you a big fan of it? We didn't see a lot of meerkatting. They usually knew what they were doing. But uh, what you, would you think? It looked exactly like we've been talking about. We're pounding Eric Gray in the middle and we're spreading the wide receivers in that first drive, especially um, with the deep ball. Two, two attempted deep balls, one successful to Marvin Mims. I feel like that's how we win. Honestly, put the gif of uh, Adam Sandler. This is how we win. Put Eric Gray in the middle because he can do it all. And then utilize your best skill player on the field and Marvin Mims on the outside. It was a great, perfect drive. And like we talked about in the trivia episode, feels a whole lot better than the first drive of last season where our first drive ended with a Spencer Rattler INT. I feel pretty good about this team. I understand Dylan Gabriel wasn't perfect and we'll talk about that in a little bit but that first quarter was nice yeah absolutely it felt great and you know i i think i speak for everyone where you know when when lincoln left i thought we i think a lot of us thought well here goes our offense it's gonna be bad now it was pretty damn good it was very fun to watch and it looked better than last year so uh tell your thoughts on that kind of pace that speed um, before we start kind of uh, getting more into Dylan Gabriel's performance, a couple of the wide receiving performances as well. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of the weaknesses, but I want to hear you kind of talk about that pace first. Yeah. So first initial point, I didn't broach the subject. Jamison did Spencer Rattler 
was like 2023 20, for 37, one touchdown, two interceptions. Glad to see Ooh. he hasn't changed. Uh, <laughs> we don't continue to hate on people when they've left, but uh, I'm glad to see that there was not a drop in performance with him going to South Carolina. So still, still the same old Spencer Rattler. Um, offense as a whole, Bobby, this was something that you broached when we were talking about the defense. I don't necessarily agree that it applied to the defense, but maybe I'm not that I'm not necessarily a defensive mind. I, I think myself and a lot of more casual OU fans were, were much more offensive OU minded. Uh, and maybe a lot of casual OU fans are, are much more football minded uh, than I am. I, I didn't really play beyond uh, 10th grade. I'm very offensive minded. Uh, but I, I think, and this was something that you brought up, was you don't want to reveal all your recipes right away, especially when we're playing UTEP and we don't necessarily need it. I think a, a lot of people might disagree with me. Maybe we just had really good game prep and they adjusted well. And, and maybe we do have some fundamental issues. That's yet to be seen. But I feel like if I'm giving OU the benefit of the doubt, we went out there, we played for the first quarter like it was 2008, just blew through people, like a real hurry-up offense. Because that line has been muddied nowadays a lot because the, the hurry-up offense sort of got muddied with this whole no-huddle thing where you wouldn't huddle, but you'd still be looking at the sideline for a play call and you'd still spend 20, 30 seconds in between plays. We did a true hurry-up offense for, for 21 points for most of the first quarter, and then I really think we backed off. I think we said, okay, we've proven our point. It's like when you're, when you're playing a... A, uh, I guess I guess you guys don't uh, have younger siblings, but when you're playing a, a game with your younger siblings and you don't want to beat them necessarily, or you don't want to beat them too hard, you don't want to really go tell your parents that you beat them, but you want them to know who's in charge. So you, uh, you know, you go out there, you really perform. You're like, hey, you know, just letting you know, just reminding you who's in charge here. But now we're, I'm going to back off, and I'm not going to reveal all my tricks, and we're going to let you guys play a little bit and, and stuff. I really think we backed off. Um, but that's, that's yet to be seen, but that's my overall offense analysis. I think for me, you know, anyone who, you know, kind of gets football and all that, you know, knows that, um, a lot of the offensive, the early offensive drives are, are scripted. So I think you can kind of tell when the script ran out because they didn't look as sharp and, you know, just on the fly, the play calling wasn't quite as crisp as it was when it started. Um, mm. I see, I, tell I yeah, yeah, not to not to dive in, and I don't want to sidetrack this into a discussion, but I, I, I kind of it's it's yet to be seen. I think it can't be proven either way yet, but I kind of disagree with that because I think that as long as the players know the playbook, I I think that Levy has proven in his time at Ole Miss where he saw much more challenging defenses with arguably less talent offensively. I think we can continue to perform. I think it was a a situation where maybe. We didn't want to reveal the playbook, but also maybe the playbook isn't even fully developed yet either. So maybe we maybe we it, ran out of things, a work in progress type thing. I, I bet it got vanilla. And usually the whole thing with OU is like the play. I, I feel like it's long been seen, at least in my eyes, that the play calling is always vanilla until Texas or, you know, Ohio State or whoever the first big game is. Usually it's Texas. So I think that's part of it as well. Um, but I liked it. I thought it looked really good. That 21 point spurt was clearly the best of it all, but uh, it, 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 it got better as it went on uh, for sure. So um, let's move on real quickly. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, we kind of touched on him. Jameson, we've had a lot of quarterbacks in the past couple of years uh, from that, that run from, from Hertz, Rattler, Williams, and now Gabriel. 
so obviously big shoes to fill there. How do you think he did in his first game as a Sooner? I think he did passable, really. I think he was pretty good. Obviously, there were some things where they weren't perfect. I feel like I had been kind of talking about this in the past. There were some accuracy issues. He missed some balls, just some deeper um, throws um, that maybe will get better throughout the season. You got to remember, this guy is coming off a broken collarbone and didn't play much at all, you know, as recently. And so this is kind of like this new coming back out party for Dylan Gabriel. So we'll still have to see with him, but I was I was really um, proud of him the way he played because it seems like he's just a nice solid piece to lean on. You know what you're going to be getting out of him for the rest of the season. He's going to be getting the ball to his wide receivers. He's going to be calling the right plays. He's going to be a good leader on this offense. Uh, we'll see if he could turn into like a superstar kind of guy in um, college football, like some people think he could be. Um, but I still think he has a lot to prove in that, and especially with his accuracy and decision making. Yeah, I agree. Ty, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I thought we got uh, what I was sort of expecting from him. I, th I think he performed well. I think uh, one thing a lot of people miss uh, is when you look at his his stats at UCF, especially pre-injury, he had just a ton of attempts. So if you look at him in terms of just yards and, and touchdowns and everything else, he had a lot of attempts to add up to that. Um, it. I, I don't necessarily know if we saw accuracy issues. I, I know we saw some things that could be chalked up individually as accuracy issues, but if I'm, if I'm reading a little bit deeper into it and I, I, I certainly don't have the football knowledge to do so, but I think again, benefit of the doubt is going to be my catch line for this podcast. I think if you give him the benefit of the doubt, there might just be some timing issues with these receivers who he has had very little time comparatively in the college football uh, scheme to, to develop timing with. There were some, like Jameson said, some big plays and some long plays that were very questionable in terms of accuracy, but they were tight spirals still. So maybe it was just he's he's developing timing with our receivers. It could be a, a relational thing. Hopefully, that's what, that's what I'm hoping. Again, benefit of the doubt. Hopefully those accuracy issues that we saw in longer stuff was relational with the receivers and that will continue to improve as the season goes on. Yeah, it's all a process. Um, this, and as Britton Venables has mentioned a lot of times, these are a lot of people's first games in a Sooner uniform. So there's that cohesiveness is you know just not there, and that's okay. Uh, so I think you know Gabriel really you know it's a work in progress. Hopefully by the end of the year he can get to clicking. But I saw nothing that really made me feel worried about it um, because I, I I thought it was pretty good. I. Is he a Heisman mm. contender? I don't know about that one. But this college football. Yeah. We, no. we still have a lot. He still has a lot to prove and a lot to grow. And like we've seen um, from past Heisman winners, you really have to just be completely solid or an extremely good team consistently throughout the season. He still well, has a chance. Like he still has a chance. But I, I just don't know if the way that we saw this scheme, I just think that we're giving too much running back. Uh, love to where a quarterback could get enough stats to win a Heisman well, and this team. Agreed. We're, we're going to be a more balanced team, and I think that's okay. I mean, think about, like, Kyler's first year. That guy was – it was clearly the Kyler show starting from the get-go, which is okay. Like, but, you know, I think the Levy system, like you said, is way more balanced. Um, he loves his running backs, which I, I really don't think there was anything – we already talked a ton about Marcus Major – um, but I thought Eric Gray was very good with the 16 yes. carries, 102 yards. Um, I mean, ha having your two guys average, you know, 6.4 yards per carry with Gray and 7.7 .7 from Marcus Major, 
and then you know throwing the random one Gavin Freeman rush for for 46 yards and a touchdown shout out to our guy uh 1982 boomer sooner by the way for uh mentioning that uh Gavin Freeman is my spirit athlete love to see that shout out here to Hall by the way good to see good to see another charger out there just kicking some ass for the Sooners uh haven't had that since Sterling Shepard so uh love to see that that play was electric but um I would say overall rushing was really good um do we want to talk about receiving do we want to talk? Def- uh, definitely, because I have some do, things do you, I want to make. Tijuana is popping off in the comments, and he, he he's spitting some game, and I appreciate it. Um, Jameson, receiving wise, who 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 really showed like showed out for you? Yeah, I I was just about to say Tijuana in the comments said it. I think Braden Willis looked like the star of this offense, and kind of hint hint where my game ball is going. I thought he was an exceptional blocker. There were some things that popped off whenever I was watching the game over today. And then the two touchdowns um, throwing. It seems like he's the type of guy that Dylan Gabriel might kind of lean on. Uh, We see that there's going to be certain schemed plays for Marvin Mims to get his hands on the ball um, in deep balls. But whenever it comes down to short yardage plays, I saw Braden Willis getting a lot more routes and targets than I anticipated. And two touchdowns the first game. And if he continues to block the way he did in that first game as well, um, I think he's going to be a force for this team. I made you even think, where's Daniel Parker? I don't even know if this guy's doing anything, but Braden Willis is honestly awesome. I don't, Daniel Parker didn't even play. I think he was out with the sickness. Uh, so, but honestly, uh, Braden Willis, very, very impressive. Yeah. It, uh, this is, this is the Braden Willis that we all thought he could be. And I think we were all waiting on him to have this kind of star turn. He looked great. Uh, very exciting to see. I, I, I was all about him. Uh, I'm with you. He looked awesome. Um, Ty, your thoughts on the receiving. Yeah. When it comes to, uh, so real quick, I, I will say running is exactly how I expected it to be in terms of, of load in terms of number of carries and, and performance. I think everything is clicking there. Uh, receiving again, I, I think a lot of people will look at this stat line and say, mm, kind of so-so underperformance from a lot of people after watching it on TV and and maybe it was just the way the broadcast was. I don't know how it was in person, obviously, but I think looking at the stat line, everyone performed much better. I, I love the fact that I pull up the receiving stats. And when I just look at number of receptions, I see three, 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 two, two, like it's the, the balance and in, in the spread across the board in the ability of people to make plays, the ability of people to get open, that really translated on the broadcast. Again, UTEP, it's not necessarily indicative of who we're going to be facing down the road, but I think I saw a firm, and, and a lot of people might disagree with this just because of stats and, and maybe biases. I think I saw a firm WR1 performance for Mims. There were some mm, passes that he yes. missed out on. I saw a firm, almost secondary and backup performance from some of the other guys. And I saw, even if, if there wasn't that, I saw people, no matter what the play was, somewhere in the progression, somewhere in Dylan Gabriel scanning, scanning because he's left-handed, had to swap, uh, looking down there. <laughs> That's why you there watch was on YouTube. Someone, there was someone yes. making a play all over the field, and I loved that. Drake Stoops was there when he needed him to do a typical Drake started. Stoops thing. Yeah, he started, yeah, he he, did. and Gabriel came out, through an incompletion first pass, and then he had Stoops. And it seemed like it just watching on the broadcast, because I can see the close-ups of, of faces and stuff as they cut, Gabriel seemed kind of down after that initial incompletion. 
And it just sort of like, I almost saw or felt his mood increase. Maybe it was just myself and, and my bias. But when he got that completion to Stoops, I almost felt him like loosen up his shoulders. and like, all right, I know what I'm doing. I've been at a, a big college football you know, situation before, but I loved they, you know, a uh, Braden Willis, obviously tremendous performance. Uh, the only one to register air touchdowns, but I, I love the performance from everyone else as well. And you guys already shouted out your, your heritage guy, Gavin Freeman. Is he Drake? Man, 2.0? <laughs> I will, I will jump on not that right close. now. Shout He's not out even to, close. They're completely yeah, different. No, 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 no. Now, well, how do you mean? He's small. He shouldn't be playing at the college level, and he's oh, over dude, Gavin Freeman it's, it's is like a, a pure athlete, and Drake's yeah. is more so. I think like he's just like well, a, he's like so. A like, Gavin like, Freeman has guy. to be. He has to be mentioned because <laughs> never, never in the history of Heritage Hall, and for our OKC people listening, I didn't graduate from oh, there God. because I moved. But I am a Cassidy guy, so don't take this too much. But never in the history of Heritage Hall has there been an undersized white guy receiver who has performed well. <laughs> and score touchdowns at any level beyond no that uh, doesn't college. make any so sense that's it's never occurred it's never occurred in the history of heritage Hall. So. gavin freeman played two snaps and legitimately in his first snap he just gets that touchdown that was beautiful absolutely beautiful but i want to say that i we said we talked about drake stoops we said when we were analyzing the depth chart that he was you know no or was behind marvin Mims with the slot but things just weren't making any sense you know it seems like Marvin Mims might play more outside wide receiver than slot, in my opinion. And what did we see? Marvin Mims' first drive playing outside wide receiver with Theo Weiss on the other side and Drake Stoops out there. So does that kind of give you a hint of where we kind of see in terms of not dividing guys on inside-outside wide receiver? Drake Stoops might be number three wide receiver ahead of Jalil Farouk right now. And, Bobby, I, I think you, you probably noticed this too. There wasn't a lot of depth we saw at the wide receiver position in terms of rotation. I thought that Jaden Gibson might come out and make some plays early in the game. The guy had like nine snaps and didn't catch a ball. Like I didn't see much of him at all. We've been hearing these big time things about these backup wide receivers, but not a lot of them got any run or targets. Well, I mean, there were only 23 passing attempts in the entire game. Davis Bevel didn't even throw one. Uh, so... You know, there was not a lot. Uh, There's not a lot of food on the table for the wideouts in terms of um, rep snaps. I mean, there were reps and snaps, but like they weren't getting thrown a lot too. Um, so I, I think if you want to talk about the complexity, there you go. That tells you the whole thing. Um, and as we know, there are only 15 like completions, so not a lot of catches. But I think it was designed that way. So right, the lack of I wouldn't be concerned about a lack of depth. It's just not been. They just really didn't do it. They didn't really throw much. But when they threw, I thought it was very effective. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm with yeah. you. I'm, I, I, as we get stiffer competition with Nebraska, Kansas State, I think we'll see more depth out there for sure. Mm, yeah, okay, quick. So now the big question is, okay, sorry, Ty. Uh, I was just going to ask no, no, who's no. the game ball. Is it Marcus Major or Braden Willis? But what were you going to say? I was going to say quick data point that, that people might find interesting on the on the receiving side everyone that registered more than one catch was averaging double digits yards per catch and the only people that didn't Jaleel Far Farouk and Marcus Major had nine and eight yards respectively average so that's a, that's really really good there wasn't that many attempts because it was just working too well yeah so I think so let's let's talk about game balls um we're kind of going long and we want to dive into some Kent State 
um, here in a little bit. Oh boy, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. Braden Willis, my game ball. It seems like he's going to be a nice crutch for Dylan Gabriel. Um, and I think, like Tijuana said in the chat, his blocking was stellar. I really, really liked what I saw from him out on the field. Yeah, and I hate to, I hate to back it up, but man, it's it, Willis was the best player on the field, off, uh, offensively by far. Um, he was dynamic. He did everything you wanted tight end to do. He blocked well. He caught well. Two touchdowns, um, and he he was he left he left me very excited. So um, I'm just gonna say it. Mackey award maybe could he be in consideration could be fun mm. probably not because some random iowa guy will win it but it's a fun thought ty i'm gonna zag in a way that you guys will not expect at all and any longtime listener of the schooner pod will not expect at all my offensive game ball i'm going theo Wees. i so hear me <laughs> out if okay. you don't know if you don't know uh i'm a known hater of theo Wees and the other two whose name shall not be mentioned, uh, receivers of his recruiting class because they were all five stars. We had this whole drama about these, these the three five stars. They're going to be revolutionary. There's going to be one at the Heisman ceremony every year alongside the OU quarterback, which was sort of the expectation because of, of uh, Baker Mayfield and, and Hollywood Brown. And it, I have been a known hater of all three of those guys from that class. I've been proven right on two out of three, I will mention, but I am, I am, you know, objective enough in, in my own opinion to, to say when I'm wrong. And what I saw arguably, and I think if this is very arguable, you probably win this argument. But in my opinion, I saw one of Theo Wiese's best performances of his career at OU because I think he found really? his role. I think he's really, he only had three receptions and none of them were really that impressive. But if you look at on the field, blocking on plays was a big thing that I looked at. And, and that's why I've been a longtime fan of uh, CD Lamb, even when everyone was on the Hollywood, uh, well, mm -hmm. the Hollywood train and and the uh, the Marquise uh, or the the Brown train and, and everything else. Uh, but uh, Theo Wees, I saw a firm WR too. The stats don't bear it out, but I think as the season goes on, Mims is certainly our WR one. But I think Theo Wees has found his niche and found his role. And I think uh, I'm a big proponent of the it's best to be a WR two at the college level because there's not a lot of defensive skill. And if you're the main dude, you're going to get the best uh, defenders and that can really be an advantage for the second guy. I think, I think it, it, this is going to be a cold take at the end of the season, maybe, but uh, maybe Theo Wies is a firm WR too, because arguably uh, up to now, Drake Stoops was holding it and it was, it was certainly up for the taking and, and Wies, you know, to his credit was, was held back by, by injuries and, and a system that was very crowded in his year prior to his injury. I think maybe he's found his rhythm and I will turn my, my talking points around. You know, I've been, been a hater. I've been a doubter, but you know, I'm, I'm just all about that on the field performance. So I, I felt that I saw it here. So I'm going to give his, I'm going to give him my game ball as a, a vote of confidence. What an interesting, there, there you take. go. That's big character to, uh, development there from Ty. If, if you, for long time listeners of the scooter pod. So there you go. That's big. Um, let's move on. Let's, talk a little bit about kent state so uh the golden flashes are coming to norman uh almost won the mac last year or they didn't win the mac they lost to northern illinois uh almost won the mac uh this is going to be a pay-per-view pay-per-view game on um espn plus like, oh ESPN Night plus yeah yes i'm so <laughs> pumped about it because i well I'm, I'm gonna be at the game so i won't even get to use it but i'm happy that it's there 
so six o'clock game, first night game. Uh, I don't really know. Six thirty or six? Probably six thirty. Six six. I think it's even. Six even. I think it was six thirty. Let's check. Let's let's check the records. I'm pretty sure. Six o'clock. I was wrong. I'm gonna eat it. Oh, ouch. Yes. How dare but you it's okay, Ty and I will be going Let's to the go. calf. We'll be going to the calf at around 11 a.m. So I'll see you. I will. I yeah. will. Don't. Don't even. You, I know I you're am. joking, but I will. <laughs> I love it. But it's the first night game of the season. I think it's exciting. I'm thrilled. Uh, and guys, um, any do, there's nothing to really say about Kent State other than the fact that they're getting that bag. They played Washington last week, playing OU this week, and they're playing Georgia in two weeks. So shout out to them, kings of getting that bag getting buyouts. So I'm not really worried about playing them in terms of uh, talent, but as a game, you know, we all know night games are a little bit different in Norman. Are y'all excited about that? You know, what, what, what are y'all, th- what are, what are y'all's thoughts going into this? Jason? I'm excited because uh, the night game is going to show us those new red lights that they have been pushing. And allegedly they, LEDs. The, power went, the power went out in the stadium the morning of Saturday because they are pushing so many lights that night before on Friday and just kind of just blew, you know, whatever. I don't know. They just used too much power. Um, thought that was a little bit silly for a two thirty game to start practicing the led lights the night before. Um, but pretty funny. It's, I think it's going to look really cool. And uh, Kent state, they, I don't think they're going to be the same team as last season either. I think it's going to be a very similar game that we just saw with UTEP. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Ty, how you feeling about it? Yeah, I, so I, I I'm gonna sales pitch it uh, for for everyone. I had a big spiel about light emitting diodes, semiconductors that can can project photons of light uh, and all this. But uh, it, you guys kind of I, I thought I was gonna go first, but I am gonna sales pitch it for <laughs> for the OU fan. I this is the one this is the one to go to. I th- I think this is the cheapest. These are the cheapest tickets of the year. You have. But it's cheaper than than last week by I think I think you can still get tickets to this one around twenty five a pop. Uh, get them on the home side so that you will be in the shade even at, at six o'clock. Uh, there's still going to be light for for a lot of the game, so get them get them on the home side so that you can probably get some shade for most of the game. You're going to have the best weather in terms of early season games. The tickets are the cheapest, like I just mentioned. It's in the evening. It's at six o'clock, so you have a much a much uh, easier sort of travel time for coming from the city or Tulsa or Dallas or wherever you may be uh, coming from. If you're flying in, that's even an easier uh, timeline to make, certainly to, to make it to a 6 p.m. game. Uh, this is the one that I would recommend if you're on if you're on the fence, come to this game. This is going to be the if you can only come to one a year because, you know, I, I'll knock on wood. Certainly we're going to perform well. Uh, so you're going to see a good showing of your Sooners. You're not going to have to stress about it. You're going to have a comfortable time. You're not going to have to worry about freezing if you don't bring enough layers. You're not going to have to worry about passing out in the heat if you get the right seats and and you prepare well enough. You're going to have the most time uh, to to tailgate and, and everything else, and you're going to get to see one in, in OU Stadium. So uh, if I were to talk about this game, it's it's got to be experience. I, I don't think we're too worried about on-the-field performance. That's not to discredit Kent State. I think shout-out to Kent State for scheduling OU and Georgia, who had a tremendous performance. Uh, so shout-out to Kent State for, for scheduling both of us in the same and year. Washington. I know that was – yeah, and yeah, Washington. and Washington. I know that was – I know they scheduled the years ago. Yeah, I know they scheduled years ago. But, uh, yeah, I think beyond financial, I think that's got to be cool for the players. You know, and I'm, I'm trying to say this as, as non-condescendingly as possible, but 
the players that are playing at Kent State probably didn't get offers to schools like OU and Georgia. So it's got to be cool to at least play at that level. This, hey, I played at uh, you know Georgia. I played at OU. I played in Washington, one of the coolest places to play, in my opinion, uh, just geographically. So that's got to be cool for the players too, even if, if they might get knocked around a little and, and they secure the bag. So, yeah, I'm going to sales pitch this game, and I think it's going to be a great OU fan experience. So also if you're a Kent State fan, like an actual like big-time Kent State fan, talk about a way – I mean, a lot of money, but getting to go to Washington, OU, and uh, if you can somehow swing it, Washington, OU, and Georgia, what a, what a, what a road trip. Like pretty, pretty legit stuff, but uh, also uh, probably a bit financially draining. I'm sure nobody's doing it. Uh, so exciting stuff, exciting stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I need to see improvements from the concession stands – those were miserable and running out of food. Uh, we we upped the concession game this offseason, but I didn't get a single thing from the concessions because it would have been 45 minutes in the line. So, OU, I'm looking at you. It's a 6 o'clock game. I'm going to want to eat a little bit of dinner in the stadium, so I'm hoping for the best on Saturday. I thought the beer lines were acceptable. What I thought was bad was, I don't know about you, but whenever I was in line at the stadium, I thought it was brutally bad. I thought I thought the lines to get in were really bad. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the first game for everyone, so I'll give them. The yeah, the yeah, yeah. Six o'clock games a big deal because there's going to be a lot of people wanting dinner, and night games are a little bit more crazy too. So I think those beer lines will be a little bit longer. This is going to be a big, big game. I want to see it. I want to see it. OU. It's not as bad as Nebraska running running out of water last week, or, or sorry, last year uh, in week two. That was whatever. Bad. That was that was really bad. Atrocious. Yeah, my my wife like. We didn't line for an entire half to get water. My got wife. to the front. <laughs> got got to the front and then uh yeah, um they had no water. So yeah, ridiculous. By the way, pro tip, bring in an empty water bottle. Yes. Because you can refill it. Mm-hmm. That, That's what we did. J- James and I yeah, I know you're already doing that, you know. Mr. The uh, thr- thriftyboy.com over here. Mm-hmm. So, I need to work on yeah. my thriftiness. I didn't buy a yeah. ticket until like right before kickoff. It was not the best move. You're out here. You're out here playing uh, chicken with StubHub. I love it, or whatever ticket site. So, anyways, I think that's all we have for this week, though. So, uh, any just call it good. Y'all, y'all have any uh, extra comments? We're already running about an hour and three. I I will say last comments. I, I temper expectations for the LED lights. I, you go look at at the things that that Bama and Georgia have. They have a a stadium architecture that's much more conducive to more lights. I think it will be amazing, but uh, don't necessarily go into expecting something super crazy. It's, it's going to be brighter, better white lighting, and then some neat red lights. Won't be right away because we won't have sunset until uh, around 8 o'clock or so. So, uh, you know, second half type stuff, but temper expectations, but it's going to be cool. Yeah. Final note, also, everyone who wanted Crazy Train gone, first of all, I'm one of the few people who likes Crazy Train. <laughs> uh, they thought it was over. They thought it was dead. And then they played it when they ran out. So they elevated Crazy Train to a better position. They so know what they're doing. All of y'all, they know what they're doing. Excellent troll move. Elite troll move by OU, whoever was on the ox there. I love it. Uh, definitely glad to see it. But I don't want to. Go ahead. I, I don't want to drag it on too much. But I do wonder how many times did we play Mo Bamba? Oh, we did it. Why is that even on our playlist? It's about a Texas player. 
Mm-hmm. Does so we did play. It we did play it though, because it was not I heard. I didn't count. I didn't have it a was little not, checklist. But of... it, okay, well, it was not heard on the TV broadcast. So I, I had fingers crossed that I was like, oh my goodness, maybe we've, we've cut it out of our playlist. But I guess not. Yeah, sadly, I, I, it definitely played at one point. I, I, that comes to mind. But anyways, well, that's all we got for today's pod. Thank you to all of our viewers who tuned in live on YouTube, as well as those of you who are listening on replay via your favorite podcasting app. If you're new here, make sure to hit that subscribe button and show us some love with a five-star rating and a review. It really, truly does help us a lot. We mean, means a lot to us. So please, uh, if you can, if you like the show, we're five-star men. We like that. So special shout out to our sponsors at DraftKings and Raycon, as well as our great network partner, TPPN, the Pigskin Podcast Network. We'll see you all later this week on the weekend spread as we make our picks for week two. Have a wonderful week. Happy Labor Day and Boomer Sooner, everyone.